This audio is brought to you by Muslim Central. Please consider donating to help cover our running costs and future projects by visiting www.muslimcentral.com forward slash donate. I would like our brother Muaz, mashallah, to read from the Quran the primary verses that we will be using uh, for today's discussion. And originally we would recite these uh, ayats uh, intermittently, that means at different points during the lecture. But because you've been waiting, I would like the brother to read uh, from those ayats, inshallah, principally they're from the surah called Anfal, the ninth surah of the Quran. And they are also from the surah which is called Hujarat, the 49th surah of the Qur'an. So if our brother Mu'adh, if he can uh, read these ayats. Uh, as he reads uh, two ayats, uh, I will um, uh, read the, the translation, inshallah ta'ala. A'udhu billahi minash rajim Bismillahirrahmanirrahim إنما المؤمنون الذين إذا ذكر الله وجلت قلوبهم وإذا تنيت عليهم آياته زادتهم إيمانا وعلى ربهم يتوكلون الذين يقيمون الصلاة ومن Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he mentioned in the Qur'an, the believers are only those who when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is mentioned, they feel a fear, a tremor in their hearts, and when his verses are recited to them, they, it increases their faith and they put their trust in their Lord. They perform the salah and they spend out of that which we have provided for them. It is they who are believers in truth, for them are grades of dignity with their Lord and forgiveness and a generous provision. <laughs> يا 
He mentions to us in the same surah, Surah Al-Anfal, O you who believe, respond to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that is by obeying him and his messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam when he calls you to that which gives you life. And know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala comes in between a person and their hearts. And it is to Allah that you shall all be gathered. And fear the fitna that is the affliction and the trials that affects not only in particular those of you who do the wrong. And know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is severe in his punishment. And remember when you were just a few people and reckoned to be weak in the land and you were afraid that people might kidnap you but Allah provided you with a safe place and he strengthened you with his help and provided you with good things that you might be grateful. O you who believe, betray not Allah and his messenger وسلم, and betray not knowingly the amanat, the amana, the things entrusted to you and all the duties which Allah has ordained for you. And know that your possessions and your children are but a fitna, a source of trial, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is mighty in his reward. O you who believe, if you obey Allah and fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he will grant you a furqan, that is a criterion to judge between right and wrong. And he will also give you a makhraj, that is a way for you to get out from every difficulty. And he will expiate, forgive for you your sins, 
and forgive you, and Allah is the owner of great bounty. Dear brothers and sisters, the issue of the division between the Muslims is a major issue. One of the main challenges, it is one of the main challenges and perhaps one of the most critical. It is the issue of differences. This issue is the most critical. That is, among all the challenges in front of Muslims in the world today, the greatest challenge in front of us is the challenge of differences. And that is because differences is a challenge to our internal virtue and integrity. It is a source of internal weakness and division. This weakness and division is apparent throughout the Muslim world, in our governments, in our societies, among the scholars, and among the common people like ourselves. These divisions are ethnic, ideological, political, and personal. Unfortunately, these divisions are so deep and so malignant, we are unable to respond to the very basic obligations of unity among Muslims. That is, whenever we talk about the unity of the Muslims, whenever we pray for it, we talk about it, we always end by saying it cannot happen because of these malignant tendencies and differences. As a result of that, we are scattered, we are shattered. The unbelievers, they splatter us all over the world. And we can do nothing about it. Because the major thing is that inside of us, our hearts, our minds, our resources have been divided. In tonight's presentation, I would like to touch upon some of these divisions, their manifestations. And finally, I would like to propose from the Qur'an and from the Sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, solutions. Because what does it matter if we recognize a problem, but we can't pinpoint and build some steps towards the solution? We will hopefully point out some steps that we can take to address these problems. I would like to state that my comments are not aimed at criticizing or condemning any group or any individuals. Since I'm a part of the Ummah, as an individual, I have my obligations, I have my faults, my shortcomings, and so some of the problems also are my problems. Nor do I intend to disrespect or disregard the genuine efforts the advice or the contributions of the scholars or the students of knowledge. I am addressing the general condition of the Ummah as if the Ummah was a body. As the Prophet ﷺ, he said, he said that the Muslim Ummah is kaljasad, it is like a body. It has a head, it has parts, it has a heart, it has organs and vital organs. So if there is a pain anywhere in the body, if there's a sickness anywhere in the body, the body will respond to that sickness and that disease until relief will come to it. So the Prophet ﷺ mentioned 
that the ummah of the Muslims is like a body, it is like a building. All the bricks, they meet with each other this way. And if they don't meet with each other this way, the bricks in a building, then those bricks are separate. They are breaking apart or they are scattered around some type of construction site. And no one here would say, if we passed by a construction site and we saw all the bricks stacked up over here and some stacked up over there, although we knew this is a construction site and we see the picture of that building, nobody would say, there is a building. No, they would say it's under construction. Or if it had been torn down, they will say it has been demolished. The picture of the Muslims all over the world is like that kind of picture. A construction site. Only thing, it is a global construction site. And the bricks of the building are scattered everywhere. The hearts, the minds, the resources, the materials of the Muslims are spread and scattered all over the world. And no one can see. We are talking the Quran, we are talking the Sunnah, we are bringing all the ahadith, the dalail, the proofs and the evidences. We're talking about Islam. But nobody can see the building. And nobody can occupy the building. Because the bricks and the resources and everything that goes inside that building is scattered all over the world. Today I am addressing the general condition of the ummah as if it were one single body. I am addressing the general condition of the Ummah in a form of advice. It is not a statement of absolutism. I will not say to you that my proposal or my observation that this is the solution, I'm going to offer advice. The first advice is for myself. The Messenger of Allah Sallallahu he said, Ad-Din al-Nasiha, the religion is advice, advice and conformance. So the companions, they said, radiallahu anhum, advice and conformance to whom? He said, lillah, to Allah. Walikitabihi, and to his book. Walirrasulihi, and to his messenger. Waliammatul muslimin, and to the leaders, the imams of the Muslims. Waamatihim, and to the generality of the Muslims of which we are a part of. So I will be addressing to the best of my ability, this problem, first by an examination, then a diagnosis, and then a treatment plan. I first would like to also give some ahadith from the Prophet so that we can put things into context. We heard some ayat from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from Surah Al-Anfal and we will hear more later on in the talk. But let us listen what the Prophet said so we understand the context. Abu Musa al-Ash'ari radiallahu anhu, he said, the Messenger of Allah said, a believer in respect to another believer is like a building whose parts support one another. Bukhari and Muslim. And Nu'man ibn Bashir radiallahu anhu said, the Messenger of Allah said, the likes of a believer in their mutual love, mercy and affection is the likeness of a body. When one limb of it complains, the rest of the body reacts with sleepness and fever. Ibn Umar reported that the Messenger of Allah said, The Muslim is the brother of a Muslim. He should not wrong him, nor surrender him to his enemy, nor leave him to perish unsupported. 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will take care of the needs of anyone who takes care of the needs of his brother. On the day of reckoning, Allah will dispel the anxiety of anyone who dispels the anxiety of another Muslim. On the day of rising, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will protect and give satr. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give protection and a veil to anyone that gives satr, protection and a veil to a Muslim. Abu Huraira radiallahu an reported that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu said, Do not envy one another, do not bid against one another, do not raise the price on one another, and do not give the intention upon any woman that your brother has already made the intentions upon. Or do not even go to seek to buy or benefit from something you know that your brother has a desire to buy or benefit from. Do not turn your backs on one another. Do not sell against the sale of anyone. That is, do not boycott one another. He said, and none of you should sell against the sale of another one. Be slaves of Allah, that is, be brothers. The Muslim is the brother of a Muslim. He should not wrong him. He should not leave him unsupported, nor should he scorn him, nor should he disappoint him. Fear Allah. The fear of Allah, he said, At-taqwa ha-huna. Taqwa is here inside the chest. And he pointed to his chest three times. It is enough evil for a man to have ghillah, to have hatred and scorn towards his Muslim brother, whomsoever they may be. Everything, the Prophet ﷺ said, Everything concerning a Muslim is sacred to another Muslim. His blood, his property, and his honor. His blood, meaning himself and his family. His property, meaning his resources and his money. As well as his honor, that is his honor and his reputation. Abu Huraira radiallahu anh, reported that the Messenger of Allah wasallam said, Beware of opinion. Opinion is the falsest kind of speech. Do not spy and do not pry. Do not be rivals or envy of one another. Do not hate one another. Do not show enmity to one another. Do not turn your backs on one another. Be slaves of Allah and brothers. The Prophet ﷺ said, on the authority of Jabir who said, a Muslim is the one whose tongue and hands the Muslims are safe. Dear brothers and sisters, in this presentation, we cannot possibly exhaust this subject. Rather, we can only treat the matter within the context of the time. Therefore, I request you to be patient and tolerant. There are several manifestations of division among the Muslims, and there are actions and behaviors that contribute to these divisions. One, and probably one of the most profound and poisonous, is the issue of asabiya and qawmiya. Asabiya, it means nationalism, and qawmiya, tribalism. Muslims waving their flags, Muslims being proud of where they come from. Muslims always saying, putting a name, putting a country, putting some kind of ethnicity before Islam, saying, I am American Muslim. I am a Pakistani Muslim. I am an Australian Muslim. I am an Iraqi Muslim. I am a Saudi Muslim. I am a Lebanese Muslim. I am a Nigerian Muslim. No, we should never, ever, ever put anything before Islam. You can say, I am a Muslim from Nigeria. I am a Muslim from America. 
I'm a Muslim from Lebanon. Why? Because where you're from really doesn't matter. What matters is that we are Muslims. Qawmiya, tribalism. Even Muslims from the same country, Muslims who are from the same ethnicity, when they come and they live in a place, they settle according to tribe. Tribe that lives in the east, the tribe that lives in the west, the tribe from the north, the tribe from the south, the tribe that eats this, the tribe that has this culture, tribes that had historical conflicts among themselves, they continue those conflicts even when they move to another place. So this is called Asabiya and Qawmiya. It is something that Muslims do innocently, by habit. Even when they enter the mosque, you will find Muslims look for somebody who looks like them. A Muslim look to sit by somebody who talks like them. A Muslim will only invite somebody to their house who is from their place. A Muslim seems to seek loyalty and support and to live next to someone who eats his food and dresses like him and talks his lahja, his dialect. This is signs of ignorance. This is signs of defeat. This is signs of weakness. This is signs of disease. This is signs of jahiliyyah. But we have been told, we have been told by our conquerors, we have been told by those people who have sponsored us, we have been told by those people who have entered our homes, our hearts, and our lands, we have been told by those people that this is good for us. This is a way that we can be identified. This is a way we can be distinguished. And we believe them because they give us something for it. O oh, Muslims, this ignorance, Asabiya and Qawmiya, is the ignorance and poison which is one of the main ingredients of division and pollution among the Muslims today. If we don't stop it, if we don't speak about it, then we are contributing to our own death and we are contributing to the erosion and the stagnation of Islam. It is the element that the non-Muslim conspirators, they use it to separate us, they use it to divide us, they use it to undermine the countries, they use, they use it to undermine our communities, they use it to undermine the individuals among the Muslims. We have been given special names by the kuffar. We have been given special flags by the kuffar. We have been given distinct countries by the kuffar with independent constitutions and governments by the kuffar. And that is how we see each other. There was a time when no matter where a Muslim lived, they knew there was one khalifa. They knew there was one authority. They knew there was one ummah. And there was no need for any flag. The flag of the Muslims is La ilaha illallah, Muhammad Rasulullah. It doesn't have any emblems. It doesn't have any special letters. It is not for any special people. It is a global ummah. It is an ummah that's chosen by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It is the ummah of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. It is the ummah of Ibrahim alayhi sallam. It is the ummah of the anbiya. It is the ummah of tawheed. And every other characteristic that it has is underneath it. It is beneath it. 
It is subordinate to it. It is the Kafirs who came and undermined the Khilafah and used Muslims to destroy the Khilafah and then got a promise from those same Muslims never to establish the Khilafah. And it is those same people who promised this who waved the flags. It is those same people who themselves formed their own constitutions. It is those same people who told you and me that we are distinct countries. And it is those same people that belong to the United Nations and who took their constitution of Islam, who took the Quran and the Sunnah and put it under the charter of the United Nations. Those same people. Unfortunately, those are the people who broke with the loyalty of Islam. We don't need to say who they are. They have broken with the loyalty of Islam. And we are following them as a lizard follows another lizard into the hole. We Muslims see ourselves as part of the global community of the United Nations. So when something happens to us, when the enemies of Islam rape us, kill us, go inside our homes and rip out our natural resources, step on the Quran, disrespect us, go inside our masjids, destroy us. Who do we ask for help? There is no Khilafah, no Khalifa, no global authority. Who do we ask for help? We go to the United Nations and they are the very ones who have collaborated against us. Because Asabiya and Qawmiya, they already know that this is the tool to use against the Muslims. Oh Muslims, the second point I want to say to you, which may not be as obvious as the first one, is Ta'ifiya and Nafsiya. Ta'ifiya and Nafsiya. What is Ta'ifiya? Ta'ifiya is groupism, ideological groups. So, all the Muslims, if they say I'm Muslim, the next thing they say, it's not enough that I am American Muslim. It is not enough I'm Iraqi Muslim, Nigerian Muslim. No, now I have to be, I have to be Sufi, or I have to be Salafi, or I have to be Sunni, or I have to be Shi'i, or I have to be Wahhabi. Or I got to be Alawi. Or I got to be this or that. It's not enough that we are Muslims upon the Tawheed of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Muslims upon the monotheism of Ibrahim alayhi salam or that we are Muslims upon the Quran and the Sunnah. No, we have to distinguish ourselves from the other Muslims and we have to call ourselves certain names. And even when those names are justified, and yes, Muslims, sometimes a name is justified because when people of deviance and people of ignorance is calling themselves this and that sometimes we got to distinguish ourselves and say no because you know even today a man it's not enough for you to be just called a man because men are marrying men and women is marrying women we got to be a little bit more clear than that we can't just say I'm a man I just got to say well I'm a man in the real sense and I love women. See, that make it clear. I'm a man in the real sense. 
and I love women and I do not have no intimate regards for men. We have to make ourselves clear because we live in an unclear society. So sometimes Muslims have to make themselves clear and I understand that. But we don't have to put no button on our foreheads. We don't have to put no, no nothing across our chest. We don't have to call the mosque that. We don't have to then start saying to other Muslims, you got to call yourself this or you're not with us. Like George Bush said, if you're not with us, you must be against us. Some Muslims have adopted that ideology. That if we don't call ourselves by the same name they call themselves, it means we must be against them. We must be the other camp of Muslims. That is not correct. We go by the speech of a Muslim. We go by the actions of a Muslim. And even when we have doubt, we have husnadun. Husnadun. That means we put the best construction on the issue and we give the Muslim the benefit of the doubt. We say he's a good Muslim. Mashallah, she's a good sister. Until they manifest something different, then we say there is some weakness in their actions. There's some deviance in their belief. Oh, Muslims, let me tell you something that you should need to know. There's a report that's been put out. This report has been developed in America. It is what most of the governments in the world today are using as a ruler and a parameter to judge Muslims, to evaluate Muslims, to diagnose Muslims. And let me read to you what they have said concerning us. They, the so-called non-Muslim experts, have politically and ideologically grouped us into the following categories. They said that the Muslims of the world are of basically four different kinds. They're talking about now. They are fundamentalists, they are traditionalists, they are modernists, and they are secularists. Let me define those terminologies for you. Fundamentalist means those people who are saying we want to go back to the Quran and the Sunnah. We want to establish the Quran and the Sunnah. We want to follow the three generations of Islam. No, we do not want bid'ah. We don't want ghulu. We don't want excess. We want the Islam, the Quran, and the Sunnah, and all our actions, and that's it. They call us, those who say that, fundamentalists. Although in Islam there's nothing called fundamentalism. Then there are the traditionalists. These are the people who also say they follow the Quran and the Sunnah, but they hold on to a certain classical tradition. They say we are Wahhabi. They say we are Hanafi. They say we are Shi'i. They say we are Hanbali. They say we are Shafi'i. They say we are Maliki. Although those four men, Ahmed ibn Hanbal, Imam Shafi'i rahimullah, Abu Hanifa, Imam Malik, although those are our fathers, those are our scholars, those are the mujtahideen of Islam and the greatest people who brought Dalil to us from those generations, no doubt. But following them blindly as a tradition is what the category here is. People who follow them blindly and therefore they don't unite with anybody else except those who follow each one blindly. They are called traditionalists. Then there are the modernists. The modernists are those who want to make a new interpretation of the Quran. They want to make a new interpretation of the Sunnah. They want to make a new interpretation of Islam. 
In fact, they are the people who may want to join all the religions together to have what they call peaceful coexistence. They are the people who call themselves Wahdatul Adiyan. That is, they want to join with all the religions together. Hinduism, Buddhism, Christianism, Christianism, so and so and so and so and so, make it one all religion. It even sounds funny, don't it? Yeah, think about it. Hinduism, Buddhism, Christianity, Judaism, Brahmism, Shiism, is Heism. They want to bring all the religions all together with respect, and everybody want to go down the road together. We will overcome. See, that's what we want to do. This is called Wahdudul Adyan, making all, it sounds nice. One world religion. I, I don't know who would be the head of that, maybe the Pope. They got the most money. Or it might be the mayor of Jerusalem. Or it might be Jacques Chirac. Or it might be Mr. Howard. Or it might be Mr. Bush. Or it might be whoever. We don't know who might become the leader of this new world religion. But the people who call for that among the Muslims, they are the misguided people and they have joined the enemies of Islam. No matter how intellectual they are, no matter how sincere they are, no matter how educated that they are, they have joined the camp of the enemies of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they have said by doing so that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has not given to us the haqq. And that this deen of the Qur'an and the sunnah and the wala and bara, the loyalty and the disassociation, the loyalty for the Muslims and the disassociation of the Kafirs, that there's nothing like that in Islam. We just go along down the road with whoever's happy with us, we're happy with them too. Oh Muslims, they have come up also with a formula. Not only have they classified us, but they have also come up with a formula to deal with every category and how to create hostility and opposition between the different categories. They have determined that the greatest threat to Western civilization and the, con is, and the continued dominance of Western culture is, the, is, is to make sure that the Muslims never reestablish a global identity and that there is no opportunity ever, ever, ever for them to reestablish the Khilafah. Let me repeat that point to you. They have determined that the greatest threat to Western civilization and the continued dominance of Western culture is to make sure that no nation among the Muslims develop among themselves a global identity. And secondly, they never, ever, ever have the ability to reestablish the Khilafah. Now this is in their protocols. This is what you should understand. This is what they are preserving. This division is subtle and hidden, meaning that most Muslims wouldn't even know it. Therefore, it is more difficult to recognize than to treat. The non-Muslims who consider themselves as authorities and experts on Islam and Muslims have observed the following. Listen to this, please. 
The Muslims in the world are divided into the following basic socio-political groups. Asians, Arabs, Africans, those of the Far East, those of the Near East, those of European, American, and Australian backgrounds, although those are of the minority, those of Slavic and Russian backgrounds, although they are also a negligible population, and those of South America. This is what they said. Look how they divide us. Our objective is to polarize these ethnic groups. That means to keep these ethnic groups from uniting together and exploit their cultural differences. In this way, we can maximize our global agenda and we can minimize any global threat from them. SubhanAllah. Look how clear they are. Look how bold they are. Look how blatant they are. And look how accurate they are. On the issue of ideological and personal differences, this has existed since the first century. Since the first generation of Islam, Muslims have went through this whole thing of ta'ifiyah. They have went through this whole thing of nafsiyah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned to us in the surah which is called Hujarat, some warnings about this ta'ifiyah and this nafsiyah. And I would ask my brother, Mu'adh, please read to us from the 6th to the 15th ayah of Surah Hujarat. أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم يا أيها الذين آمنوا إن جاءكم فاسق بنبأ فتبينوا فتبينوا أن تصيبوا قوما بجهالة فتصبحوا على ما فعلتم نادمين واعلموا أن فيكم رسول الله لو يطيعكم في كثير من الأمر لعنتم ولكن الله حبب إليكم الإيمان وزينه في قلوبكم وَكَرَّهَ إِلَيْكُمُ الْكُفْرَ وَالْفُسُوقَ وَالْعِصْيَانَ أُولَئِكَ هُمُ الرَّاشِدُونَ فَضْلًا مِنَ اللَّهِ وَنِعْمَةً وَاللَّهُ عَلِيمٌ حَكِيمٌ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he mentioned in this surah which is called Al-Hujarat from the sixth surah from the sixth ayah, he says, O oh, you who believe, if a fasiq, a liar, an evil person, comes to you with any news, verify it, lest you should harm people in ignorance, and afterwards you should become regretful for what you have done. And know that among you there is the Messenger of Allah, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. If he were to obey you in most of what you say of your opinions, desires, and the news you bring to him, in much of the matter, you would surely be in trouble. But Allah has endeared the faith to you and has beautified it in your hearts and has made disbelief, wickedness, and disobedience to Allah and his messenger, وسلم, hateful to you, such are those who are rightly guided.
He says, this is a grace from Allah and his favor and Allah is all-knowing and wise. And if two parties or groups among the believers fall to fighting or disputation, then make peace between them both. And if one of them outrages against the other and transgresses, then fight all of you together against the one that outrages and transgress till they comply with the command of Allah. Then if they comply, then make reconciliation between them justly and be equitable. Verily, Allah loves those that are equitable. And so he said, Subhanahu wa ta'ala, the believers are nothing other than brothers. So make reconciliation between your brothers and fear Allah that you may receive mercy. O you who believe, let not any group laugh at another group, scorn another group. It may be that the latter are better than the former, nor let some women scoff, laugh or scorn at other women. It may be that the latter are better than the former, nor defame one another, nor insult one another by nicknames. How bad is it to insult one brother after having faith, that is to call him by wicked names, as we hear Muslims calling each other by names, ideological names, in order to identify them to be worse than we are. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, and whomsoever does this and does not repent, then such are indeed zalimun wrongdoers. يا أيها الذين آمنوا اجتنبوا كثيرا من الظن إن بعض الظن إثم ولا تجسسوا ولا يغتب بعضكم بعضا 
أيحب أحدكم أن يأكل لحم أخيه ميتا فكرهتموه واتقوا الله إن الله تواب رحيم يا أيها الناس إنا خلقناكم من ذكر أو من ذكر وأنثى وجعلناكم شعوبا وقبائل لتعارفوا إن أكرمكم عند الله أتقاكم إن الله عليم خبير. said سبحانه وتعالى O you who believe avoid much suspicion indeed most suspicion are sins and spy not on each other nor backbite one another would one of you like to eat the flesh of his dead brother you would hate it so hate backbiting and fear Allah verily Allah is the one that forgives and accepts repentance and he is most merciful O mankind we have created you from a male and a female and made you into nations and tribes that you may know one another verily the most honorable of you with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one that has a taqwa that is the most fearful and mindful of Allah. Verily, Allah is all-knowing, all-wise. إِنَّ اللَّهَ غَفُورٌ رَّحِيمٌ إِنَّمَا الْمُؤْمِنُونَ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا بِاللَّهِ وَرَسُولِهِ ثُمَّ لَمْ يَرْتَابُوا ثُمَّ لَمْ يَرْتَابُوا وَجَاهَدُوا بِأَمْوَالِهِمْ وَأَنفُسِهِمْ فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ أُولَئِكَ هُمُ الصَّادِقُونَ the Bedouins, they say, we believe. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, say, you believe not, but rather you should say, we have submitted ourselves. For faith has not yet entered your hearts. But if you obey Allah and his messenger, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he will not decrease anything in reward for your deeds. Verily, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is of forgiving, most merciful. Only those who believe, who have believed in Allah and His Messenger وسلم, and afterward they have never doubted, but they strive with their wealth and their lives in the cause of Allah, and they are the ones that are truly grateful. Dear brothers and sisters in Islam, we have read from this Surah Hujarat these nine verses. Because many of the ulama and the, uh, and, the, and the fuqaha and the mufassirin, they said that if there is any surah that carves out for us and stipulates for us the code of ethics, the code of behavior, the code of conduct between Muslims, our social adab, it is this surah called Hujarat. And if you listen carefully to the surah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has pointed out all the things that are pitfalls between us. I need not 
go through each one of them individually. My suggestion is that each one of us should read Surah Al-Hujarat very carefully and see how it applies to myself or to yourself. And we should also read from Surah Al-Anfal because Surah Al-Anfal was revealed at a time when the Muslims were under development, when the Muslims were at war, when the Muslims needed discipline, when the Muslims needed order, when the Muslims needed power, when the Muslims needed leadership, when the Muslims needed faith, when the Muslims needed their unity the most, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent Surah Al-Anfal at that time. Therefore, it should be a good medicine for us at this time. O Muslims, in what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has mentioned to us in this, He said, Among the Muslims, we have these issues of calling each other names. And we choose names. We choose names from the madhabs. We choose names based upon the virtue of what we do. We say, I'm Hanafi, I'm Shafi'i, I'm Hanbali, I'm Maliki. Although these are great men, honorable men, our fathers in fiqh and knowledge, but they are not companions of the Prophet Sallallahu Anhum. They are not tabi'een. They are not atba'a tabi'een. So if we were to follow anyone absolutely after the Prophet Sallallahu we would follow Abu Bakr and Siddiq, we would follow Umar ibn Khattab, we would follow Uthman ibn Affan, we would follow Ali ibn Abi Talib But we are not calling ourselves. Umaris, Abu Bakris, Uthmanis. Some people unfortunately call themselves Alawiya. But unfortunately, the companions themselves, radiallahu anh, they did not ever, ever select any one of themselves to follow absolutely. They differed with each other. And they respected each other. But they never selected any one of themselves and said, we will follow this one or that one absolutely. Because it was their habit among themselves that we take and we leave from everyone, illa Rasulullah wasallam. We take and we leave from anyone, illa Rasulullah wasallam. There's no need for the Muslims. If we want to follow the fiqh of any person, the knowledge of any person, we follow it with honor with respect. But if someone disagree with us, it is no problem. There's disagreement. We are allowed to disagree with honor and respect. Some Muslims look at the good they are doing and they believe their group is the best group. Therefore, they tell people, call yourself by this name and they use the name that characterizes their group. So they call themselves Wahhabi, Ahlul Hadithi, Tablighi, Hizbi this, Hizbi that. Now some of these groups are legitimate and their beliefs and their practices are entrenched upon the sources of the Quran and the Sunnah. We don't want to say they are not justified. But what we want to say is that they should not, even if they choose to use those names, they should not impose those names upon the Ummah. 
They should not impose those names upon their fellow Muslims. They should not require anyone to call themselves by those names to be with them, to interact with them, to travel with them, to learn from them, to benefit from them, or to be respected by them. Some of these groups are legitimate. I mentioned the Quran and the Sunnah is what we all should want to be upon. We should all want to be following the three generations of the Muslims who understood, who practiced, and who delivered what the Prophet ﷺ gave to us from the Quran and from the Sunnah. Yet, some of the Muslims who call themselves names and do so more forcefully than others are people of innovation and deviation. Yet they still want everyone to recognize them and follow them. Nevertheless, whether they are people who are following the Quran and the Sunnah with justified names, or they are people of innovation and deviation, they should not force anyone to call themselves by any names in order to interact with them. Finally, and more, most importantly, the divisions that are created by personal transgressions, bad behavior and ignorance of the code of Islamic conduct, which Sultan Hujrat has itemized for us. What are some of those characteristics? One, gossiping. Gossiping. We destroy the name of a Muslim like that. A, a name comes across our tongues. A trash, a filth comes to us from someone who Allah describes as a facet. A name comes. A gossip comes. A story comes. We don't check it out. We say, is that right? Astaghfirullah. And before you know it, we relate it to somebody else. Did you hear? Did you know? Amen, subhanAllah, is that right? And before you know it, a story has traveled from one end of Sydney to the other. And then from one end of Australia to another. And then from one end of the globe to the other, now that we have fiber optics and the World Wide Web. So slander now can be carried globally. You can slander somebody in Sydney in the morning and that slander can reach the furthest part of the globe before the end of the day. So I ask you, if that slander that you made is a slander, whether it is a ghiba, whether it is a slander or whether it is just a backbiting, both of them is a sin. You said something about a person in their absence which they don't like and it might be true. You should not have said it. It is not your place to say that. Or you said something about a person which is not true, which would hurt them in their feelings, their hearts, or their reputation. Now you said it. And she said it, and he said it, and they said it, and it went across the world. Before you know it, people are writing to that person saying, Astaghfirullah, akhi, what you doing? I heard so-and-so said this, or so-and-so said that. Now, by the time that person clears that matter up and says that is not true, and so the person who says it to him, who it was said about, says, oh, Astaghfirullah, akhi, I'm going to tell everybody that, I, that it's not true. How will it get back to the original place where it came from? 
How will it get back to the original place where it came from that that lie, that gossip is not true? And then even if you apologize that I should not have said that, how will you travel that apology and take that apology all the way across the globe where it went? Brothers and sisters, the most dangerous thing among a Muslim that he carries, he or she, is the tongue. The Prophet said, if you guarantee me two things, I will guarantee you paradise. He said, guarantee me what is between the lips and what is between the thighs. Guarantee me the tongue, ha there, he said. And guarantee me the private parts and I'll guarantee you paradise. Oh Muslims, gossiping, backbiting, boycotting, condemning, criticizing, and in some cases, brothers and sisters who think they have so much knowledge and so much righteousness, they go so far as they take the faults or the shortcomings of even scholars and call them kafirs on the internet. Today, just go on the internet and you will see some brothers who graduated from a little college or university somewhere, some brothers who memorized a few surahs of Quran, some brothers who memorized some rules of fiqh or tafsir, some brothers who have sat with some scholars, some brothers who read a few books and who got righteous last year or yesterday, who just made hajj or just memorized a few ahadith. Some brothers just learned how to say bod. They just learned some fancy words like dalil and hujjah. They just learned how to say aqidah and this and that. Now they are taking the names of scholars of the past, the present, and those who may become scholars in the future and calling them deviants and kafirs. With no shame. No shame. On the internet, not in their city, but making sure this slander and this filth about scholars. Students of knowledge is spread across the whole world. Brothers and sisters, we have to stop it. When we hear it, we have to stop it. Because even if we differ with a scholar in the past or the present, we differ not so much to slander them, we differ with what they say respectfully and we argue against what we believe is wrong in what they say. But we should not slander because there is no benefit for slander. The Messenger of Allah when he spoke about his enemies, he never slandered them. His enemies, the kuffar, he never slandered them. So Muslim brothers and sisters, we should stay away from gossiping, backbiting, boycotting each other, condemning each other, criticizing, and in some cases, judging some Muslims and their leaders as deviants and kafirs. Now those who are deviants and those who are really kafirs, the ulama and the fuqaha who have the certification to say that, let them say it, and then the qadha, the hukum which they made is upon them. For you and I, who is the generality of the Muslims, we should be very careful about that. These are the major characteristics that contribute to the division of the ummah. And I would like to point out that the steps that we can take to address this unfortunate condition. One, all of us need to read and contemplate 
the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala concerning unity. Each one of us should read what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says. He says, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said to us in Surah in Surah Al-Bayyinah. The believers are brothers. Read Surah Al-Anfal. Read it well. Read Surah Hujarat and read it well. And sit with someone of knowledge so they can explain to you Surah Hujarat and Surah Al-Anfal. Read it and understand it well. Number two, we need to reflect and rehearse the authentic ahadith of the Messenger of Allah regarding the behaviors and principles that contribute towards brotherhood and respect. We should identify, we should not identify or name ourselves with names that we enforce or impose upon others. But we can take for ourselves a general name. We can call ourselves general names without imposing them upon others. Because yes, we are people of the Quran and the Sunnah. Yes, we are the Ummah of Muhammad Yes, we are the followers of the Salaf Salih people. Yes, we are. We are the nation, the Islamic nation. Yes, we are. And we should modify the use of ethnic, poetical, or ideological distinctions. Even when they are justifiable, they serve to divide rather than unite when we insist upon them. We must learn to tolerate and respect each other. Now, toleration and respect is two different things. If I tolerate you, that means there's something about you I don't like. But I'll tolerate you because you're a Muslim. This is the minimum we have to do. Respect is a grade above toleration. That means I respect you because I see in you some good, I see in you some benefit, I see in you some sanctity, your wife, your children, your reputation, and otherwise, therefore I want to preserve it. That's respect. We should tolerate and respect each other. Even when we strongly disagree. I said, even when we strongly disagree. There's an Arab proverb that says, we do not disrespect our enemy when he is in our presence. And we do not slander him when he is absent. This is the enemy. We have reversed it, some of us. We slander our brothers and sisters when they're with us. We disrespect them when they are with us, and we slander them when they are away from us. So the Arabs in Jahiliyyah had something better than what we're doing. We must learn to tolerate and respect each other, even when we strongly disagree. We can disagree honorably and respectfully. I say, 
we can disagree. We can sit down and disagree with each other about an understanding of the Qur'an, about something from the hadith of the Prophet about some other issues. We can strongly disagree, but we also can leave the table honorably and respectfully. We must honor all of our leaders, our scholars and students of knowledge. I said, we give honor to them because they are people of knowledge. We prefer some above others. And we have the right to prefer some above others. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, A'udhu billahi min ash-shaitan rajim fas'aluhu ahli dhikr. In kuntum la ta'alamun. Ask the people of the dhikr. Who are the people of the dhikr? They are people of the Quran and not the sunnah. They are the ulama and the fuqaha. We cannot select our ulama, our fuqaha, and disrespect all the others. No, we cannot do that. We must honor all of our leaders, our scholars and students of knowledge. We must ask them and we must encourage them to meet one another, to advise each other and to cooperate together. That's what we have to do. We have to honor and respect them, but we must also strongly recommend to them, we must strongly advise them that they should meet each other, that they should advise each other and that they should cooperate together. We must speak well of one another. And we should know that when I face my brother and he goes the other direction, that no one could say something about me that I don't like in the face of my brother or sister. We must speak well of each other and defend the honor and reputation of each other. We must not tolerate or participate in the maligning or slandering of any Muslim. Or for that matter, we don't malign, we don't slander even the non-Muslim. If we say something, we speak the truth, but we don't malign, we don't slander. We must pray and work for unity. I say pray and work for it, not just talk for it. Pray for unity and work for unity. Pray and work for unity and love between Muslims because when there is trust and confidence between Muslims it may produce love but if there is no trust and no confidence it will never produce love this love must be a sacred love a love which can never be undermined and a love that can be never compromised we must plan we must invest and commit ourselves to the idea the vision and the platform of global Islamic authority and the reestablishment of the Khilafah. I said we must plan and we must invest. Some people want to talk about Khilafah, but they can't even make the Fajr prayer. Some people want to talk about Khilafah, but they don't apply the Quran in their life. Some people want to talk about Khilafah, but they don't establish the rules, preserve the rules of brotherhood. Some people want to talk about Khilafah, but they can't take care of their own family. No, we must not just talk about Khilafah, we must plan, invest, and commit ourselves to this idea, to this vision, to this platform of a global Islamic authority. Yes, and the reestablishment of the Khilafah of Islam. 
We must learn and abide by the Islamic code of loyalty, al-bara, al-wala, wal-bara. Every Muslim should themselves find out what is al-wala, the loyalty of Islam between Muslims, and al-bara, the disassociation from the kuffar and their beliefs and their principles. Al-wala, wal-bara is the principle of loyalty and disassociation of the, of the kuffar. We must learn it. And we must teach it to our families. Because if a Muslim doesn't understand the principle of al-wala, they don't know who to be loyal to. And if they don't know the principle of al-bara, then they are taking other people into their intimacy whom they should not do so. We must learn and abide by the Islamic code of, al of loyalty, al-wala wal-bara. Our Islamic disassociation with anyone is based upon the principle of al-bara, and our Islamic loyalty with anyone is based upon the principle of al-wala. Finally, we must make regular dua, consistent effort, and perform the midnight prayer, al-tahajjud, in order that our work and our investments are acceptable to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the great and the glorious. Dear brothers and sisters, I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that He accept from us these small words. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that the poison of the divisions among the Muslims can be removed and purged from them by their reading of the Qur'an. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that the divisions among the Muslims can be removed through their love of the Prophet and their practice of his sunnah. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he strengthen the hearts of the ulama and the fuqaha. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that He strengthen and make firm the feet of the students of knowledge in their quest to preserve the knowledge and spread it among the Muslims. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that He make prolific and profound the efforts and the works of all those giving da'wah through the earth which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that all the Muslims make some contribution towards the unity of the Muslims where they are. That every Muslim make some small effort to remove these issues of unity from their hearts and from their minds and from their communities and from their families and from the ummah. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to be a witness that we have said these words. And we ask Allah that the medicine of those words benefit the speaker before it benefits anyone else. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we say, Subhanakallahum wa bihamdik wa nashadu an la ilaha illa ant wa nastaghfiruk wa natubu layk. والسلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته So, Assalamu alaikum, it says, Why do you think the Christians have a stronger ummah, love and sincerity among each other, but Muslims are taught um, righteous morals and values, yet we are weaker ummah than the Christians? Well, I wouldn't say that we are a weaker ummah than anyone. We are not a weaker ummah, and I never suggested anything like that. Uh, the other people who have their own groups are weaker than we are. But in the light of the fact that we have the Qur'an, and in light of the fact that we have a sun the sunnah, and in light of the fact that we do have a history of being able to have a global ummah, the fact that Allah calls us brothers, the fact that we have the precedent of the Qur'an and the sunnah, and that we have the example of the Prophet Muhammad This fact makes it blatant. Our disunity makes it blatant. 
The other thing that I want to say to you is that I never suggested that we are weaker than anyone. That's not what I suggested. I said that we are divided. It is the division that makes us weak. Not the basis that we are Muslims. Not the basis that we are an ummah. No, we are an ummah of Muhammad We are the ummah of the Quran. And because we are associated with the Quran, we are powerful people. But the most powerful people, if they are divided in their efforts and in their identity, they can be overpowered by anyone. And if you examine for yourselves, you travel around the world and talk to Christians. You don't find that many Christians that really love other Christians. But when it comes to Muslims, it seems they all come together. Sister says, Assalamu alaikum. I have been very uh, interested in buying an Islamic business for the sake of Allah and recently I have found out that there is another Muslim who is interested in buying this. You mentioned that, back, by, that uh, bidding against a Muslim. What is the Islamic protocol? Well, business is something different. It means that if there's a house or a business that you would like to have but you know another Muslim has already bid on it, then the principle is that you don't bid on something that another Muslim has already bid on unless it is an auction. If it's an auction, we can do it. Because the Messenger of Allah Wasallam, he, he did, there is an authentic hadith, where he held up something and asked the people, who will give me such and such dirahim or dinaran for this. And when somebody said one or two, he said, who will give me more? And so forth and so on. So bidding in that respect is different. What it means here is that it is not an auction. A Muslim wants that. And you know they want that. And they established their desire for it before you did. So if they want that, and they desire that, and they establish this desire before you, as a Muslim, you say, Faddalu, let them have it. But at the same token, if the person who owns that says, well, they offered me this amount, and I want a little bit more than that. You should see if they're willing to pay more than that. And if they are not, then you have the right to say, brother or sister, the people they want another $10,000 more for this business. Are you willing to give that to them? If not, I can pay for it. Or you may even think about going at it together. If not, let them exhaust their efforts. And when they cannot do it, then you come later on and you do it, inshallah. I think that is the, uh, the decent way. It says, Assalamu alaikum. What is your opinion of all the new Islamic groups arising in Sydney? I don't want to comment on that. I ain't been in Sydney that long. All I want to say to you, sisters, is that you will not find the newness of any groups in Sydney too much different than the newness of the, of the Muslims all over the world. It's not really that new. It's a phenomena that we have to deal with and we have to tolerate. And the fact that a new group comes up doesn't mean that it's something wrong. I hear I'm not talking about the issue of being new. Why shouldn't there be a new mosque, a new masjid, a new school, a new library, a new graveyard, a new business? Why shouldn't there be a new whatever it is? Nothing wrong with that. Here the issue is whether new or old, we should get together and make it one. 
What we want to try to do is that if there are 150 massages or organizations or schools or whatever, why can't there be a central authority, a central platform? If there are 50 imams, leaders in Sydney, Australia, why shouldn't there be a congress of leadership? Why shouldn't all of them come together one day in a hall like this or something smaller and then find out which one of them is the most knowledgeable in the Qur'an and the Sunnah? If we gave all of them money, gave all of them a thousand dollars, paid for the hotel or the hall or whatever and told them, Sheikh, you and the other Mashaykh, we're going to give you a thousand just to stay in this for three days over here and talk with these other Mashaykh. See who knows the most Qur'an, or see who had the precedent, see who's the oldest, see which one of you, you understand, willing to get into whatever. See if one of you could select an Amir. If you don't want to call him an Amir, call him a coordinator. See if you can create a coordinator among you for only one year or two years. Wouldn't it be an accomplishment if the majority of the leaders in this city was to get together for three days and talk and eat and sleep and pray together. And then out of that, they all talked and nominated one another until one of them was selected to be the coordinator of the, the uh, Imma of, of Sydney. Wouldn't that be beautiful? Even if there was no action that came from it, if we just knew that they got together and selected one of them to be the, uh, the coordinator of the majlis in Sydney, not three or four different majlis, but all the leaders got together and selected a leader for Sydney, a coordinator, and said, but just one year, Sheikh, just one year, Sheikh, after next year, another one. Because probably they would not select one for a lifetime or more than one, two years. But if they did that, alhamdulillah, that would be a, a move in the right direction. And we should pray for that. So here we're talking about the unity of Muslims, not so much the fact that they old or new. A sister says, Sheikh, I do not wish to be uh, pedantic. That's a nice word. But you mentioned an ayah of the Quran that you said was from Surah Al-Bayyina. I'm not sure that the ayah actually came from the Surah. وَتَوَاسَوْ بِصَبْرِ وَتَوَاسَوْ بِالْمَرْحَمَةِ What Surah is that from? Huh? Excuse me? This Surah Al-Bayna, isn't it? وَتَوَاسَوْ بِصَبْرِ وَتَوَاسَوْ بِالْمَرْحَمَةِ Oh, جَزَاكُمْ اللَّهُ خَيْرٍ you're not pedantic, sister. You're correct. It is. It is from Surah Al-Balad. This is correct. Jazakumullah khairan, akhi. So, okay, that we finished that. Thank you. As Umar ibn Khattab said, uh, a woman has corrected him. <laughs> I'm not Umar. Jazakumullah khairan, sister. Some of us will go to bed. And in the morning, death snuck in and snatched somebody that was inside of our homes. Or we get a phone call. Our mother, our father, our grandmother, our grandfather, our child, our friend, our neighbor, who we saw just yesterday, I spoke to, was laughing and talking. Death came that night and snatched him. Malcolm X was a racist, a nationalist, a man who said things about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala which he had no right to say. 
Yes, he was a reformed criminal. But even after he was reformed in his conduct, he was still saying things about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala which he had no right to say because Malcolm X was jahil. But the man who I need to speak about, his name is Al-Hajj Malik Shabazz. But we can't speak about him unless we come through Malcolm X. So let us be clear. Malcolm X lived a life which is impressive for non-Muslims. But for us Muslims, we have no concern about his life except three months before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala took his life. Civilization is in need as it has had in the past reformation and a new morality. What did I say it is in need of? Reformation and a new morality. Here comes the Quran. This is the very presence. This is the very premise of the need of the Quran in modern civilization. Because that was the need of the Quran 1500 years ago. And that is how the Quran brought forward a civilization that we are experiencing today. Now you might say to yourself, well, how did the Quran bring forward a civilization that we're experiencing today? We're going to discuss that. I'm going to qualify my statements. But keep this in mind. I'm saying to you that the basic thesis and answer whether the Quran can be applied in modern civilization, the basis of it is that the Quran is a book of revelation, it is a book of inspiration, and it is a book of legislation that if it is followed, it will reform the human being, it will reform the family, it will reform the society, it will reform the government, and it will reform the world. The woman that sleeps through the Fajr or doesn't perform her prayers, generally speaking, her family, they also will do the same. The woman who watches a lot of TV, her family will do the same. The woman that is selfish, she will raise a selfish family. The woman is the first university. What she teaches the family, in most cases, the family will never unlearn it. They will carry it the rest of their lives. Young people are dancing and drinking and drugging and fighting and stealing and creating problems so that the police have to come to the mosque or to their parents and say you must control these children or otherwise we have to throw them into jail. You have a problem where the young people do not respect their parents. Young people don't want to stay home. Young people want to do what they feel like doing and we cannot do anything about it because the young people have an identity crisis. They don't know who they are. They don't know if they are Australians or if they are Muslims. They have been to Australian schools, learned the Australian values and culture. But you have named them Ahmed, Fatima, Muhammad, so and so. You told them, don't do this. They don't know why not. You told them, read Quran. They never see you read it. You tell them, go to the mosque. When they come to the mosque, they see nothing but a group of old men sitting down. But there's not enough I'm Iraqi Muslim, Nigerian Muslim. No, now I have to be, I have to be Sufi. Or I have to be Salafi. Or I have to be Sunni. Or I have to be Shi'i. 
or I have to be Wahhabi, or I got to be Alawi, or I got to be this or that. It's not enough that we are Muslims upon the Tawheed of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Muslims upon the monotheism of Ibrahim alayhi salam or that we are Muslims upon the Quran and the Sunnah. No, we have to distinguish ourselves from the other Muslims and we have to call ourselves certain names. Let's work like that. All the different groups that's represented here. Let's get our Imams together. Let's get the Amirs that we set up, our chairmen, our leaders, let's get them together and ask them what's the deal. What's happening? What's the problem? Why you guys can't get together? Why you guys can't get together and choose whoever knows the most Quran, whoever knows the most of the Sunnah, whichever of you is the oldest among you? Why can't you guys get together and do that? What's the problem? If we don't ask them to do that, they won't do it for another 50 years. I mean, in the Jum'ah, we, Jum we talk first, and then we pray last. On the Eid, we do it just the reverse. We pray first, and after that, we're supposed to talk. The, Imam, the, the Muslims, after the, after, after the prayer is over, the, after the Imam do all the takbirs and all that, finish, he get up to talk, the Muslims break, breaking out. They starting to barbecue, the kids running all around, the brothers are talking, everybody got on new clothes, the sisters walking all around, and the Imam, he talking, can't nobody hear him. Because the Muslims don't have no respect. If the Khatib of the Muslims had respect, he would tell everybody, everyone sit down and they would be sitting just like this and he could deliver to those 4,000, those 5,000 people as he's supposed to, but he cannot. You know, the, 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 the Arabs, they don't like the Pakistanis. And the Pakistanis, they don't like the Arabs. You know, and the, and the Africans don't like nobody. <laughs> no, I don't mean that. I don't mean that, brothers. I, I could have switched it around, you know, I switch it around sometimes. <laughs> so when you die, the moment that you die, and all of you will die, another part of the trip is over. And that part of the ticket is torn off and is gone. You will not return back to this life. Nobody has. La ilaha. Illallah. Muhammad. Rasulullah Mawla ya salli wa sallam